This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Buy the book on BFM 89.9. Dr. Watson, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, said Stamford, introducing us. How are you? He said cordially, gripping my hand with a strength for which I should have hardly given him credit. You have been in Afghanistan, I perceive. How on earth did you know that? I asked in astonishment. Never mind, said he, chuckling to himself. The question now is about haemoglobin. No doubt you see the significance of this discovery of mine? It is interesting chemically, no doubt, I answered. But practically? Why, man, it is the most practical medico-legal discovery for years. Don't you see that it gives us an infallible test for blood stains? Come over here now. He seized me by the coat sleeve in his eagerness and drew me over to the table at which he had been working. Hello, everybody, and welcome to By the Book. I'm Lee Chui Lin. Joining me, as always, my fellow sleuth, Sharmila Ganesan. I'd like to think so. Thank you. And of course, we're bringing that up because today it is our monthly bibliography episode and we are dedicating it to the life and times of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Someone whose work came to be such a huge landmark in the field of detective novels, crime novels, sleuthing as a whole. And I think for better or worse, we cannot talk about Arthur Conan Doyle without bringing up the one other name that's constantly associated with him. And something that he isn't always thrilled about, right? Which is Sherlock Holmes. Um, or Harry Houdini. We'll oh, get to that. Oh, I mean, the Houdini stuff is just... But but yeah, and it's ironic because he had such a love-hate relationship with his arguably greatest and most well-known creation. He did. And I think we're going to do the usual thing that we do with bibliography in which we talk about, um, you know, a person's life and times, their work, the ways in which that work developed. But I wanted to say at the outset also that my relationship with Arthur Conan Doyle's relationship with Sherlock Holmes has actually developed as I've grown up because I was an avowed, I, I am still an avowed fan of the Sherlock Holmes novels and short stories. Um, there are four novels. There are 56 short stories. And I've read, I would think, if not 100%, then 90. There are so many that I, I, I lose track a little bit. But I've always loved it. And when I first read that he had actually grown to dislike Sherlock Holmes, um, and this is a pretty famous fact about him, right? That That's why at one point he killed him off only to bring him back. Mm -hmm. But I used to marvel at that and not understand why it is that you would um, hate somebody who is your legacy, who, you know, is, is such a great character. And of course, now as an adult, I totally get it because the thing that he actually said was, he is keeping me from finer things. And I think that anybody who's produced any sort of work that's gone out into the world and seen it received differently or um, had it impact your life differently than you'd expect would relate to that, even if you are not uh, someone born in 1850. And, you know, he was only 27 when he first published A Study in Scarlet, which was a novel, but then was followed by a, a whole series of short stories as well. The thing is, five years after that first publication, he already tried to kill off Sherlock. And I think it's quite telling. He lived to be 71. And there's something bittersweet, I think, with that idea of feeling like the thing that you created is the thing that's also stopping you from 
being thought of as anything else because to be fair and I've actually read some of his other books the professor challenger one specifically he wrote science fiction he wrote historical fiction um he wrote a whole bunch of other things as well and yet Sherlock Holmes Sir Arthur Conan Doyle so let's talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle himself right because um I think that he's really interesting and um aside from the fact that uh, of of that age gap that you just talked about right um of writing something when you're 27 and still answering questions about it in your 70s aside from that i think the other thing is also because he was a man of many many passions and interests and i think that is also another thing that feeds into the are we seriously still talking about this one guy thing so um arthur conan doyle he was born from irish catholic parents but in scotland and uh this was on the 22nd of May 1859, so his birthday just passed. He was raised in the same way that many middle-ish class kids of his generation were raised. Um, he, like many others of that time, don't remember his school years with particular fondness. Um, I think that he went to a pretty religious school where they tended to hew closer towards corporal punishment. His education was not necessarily something that he felt was very well-rounded. But then he went off to seek it on his own volition, of his own interests. And I think you see those same interests develop deeper and deeper and further and further later on in his life. He also spent a lot of his life separated from his family. Um, his father passed away when he was quite young. Um, after years of, I think, having mental health issues and so on. And he was then sent to school, sent off to school in uh, in England. And so there are many letters that he wrote to his mother over the course of his life, starting from even back when he was a child. And I find that quite interesting because it, it also feels like a sort of the same sense of relative isolation or, or perhaps a sense of a very individual inwards turning focus um, is something that you see in his characters as well in, in the books that he writes. Um, I love that um, one of the letters that, that famously people talk about is that he wrote to his mother to say he hates Sherlock and that he wanted to kill him off. And his mother, um, you know, responds and says, no, you mustn't, because obviously at that point he was huge and Arthur Conan Doyle was huge for writing Sherlock. But you're right. He had a distinguished medical career. He did. Um, I think he, he had so much interest in various aspects of medicine. He also was actually an amateur sportsman. He played football. He played cricket. Um, he judged bodybuilding. He judged bodybuilding competitions. He was also a spiritualist, as was known at that time. So he believed in a very particular sort of supernatural. He attended seances. He um, made friends with Harry Houdini and believed that Houdini could actually do magic. So Arthur Conan Doyle is someone that I find as I've become older, I've gotten more and more fascinated with the person he is, as well as his creations, even though I would also say, though, unlike a lot of authors that we've talked about, his personal life as such, his relationships with friends or, or, or lovers or family isn't necessarily as fraught as uh, some of the others we've talked about has been. I feel like he was a man's man. I found that uh, what's written on his epitaph, I think, kind of really sums it up because what he has written down is still true, blade straight, 
Arthur Conan Doyle, knight, patriot, physician, and man of letters. And, um, <laughs> and that's just lovely. And also in many ways sums up his life as such. A lot of the things that we're describing are, I think, in many ways, a modern man, right? Um, somebody who studies to be a doctor, who gets married, his wife passes away, he remarries, he has five children, um, you know, and so in some ways, his life is very by the book of someone that you would expect living in the late 1800s, early 1900s in the United Kingdom. However, the spiritualism, I think, is one of those huge, huge chapters in his life, particularly because he actually was a, a missionary of sorts, right? He spoke, he, he wrote books, he really tried to push forward this cause of spiritualism. And I think the reason why it's captured the imagination, partly um, it's, as you said, the rest of his life is sort of straight arrow-ish, um, but it's also because it's what he kind of took on as his identity. And B, it is so much at odds with what we know of as, you know, Sherlock Holmes, this man of deduction, this man of observation. Um, and Arthur Conan Doyle himself is a trained medical professional. So the fact that spiritualism came to play such a big role in his life is fascinating. Some people have argued that it perhaps had to do with the war at mm. the time and the fact that he lost in quick succession loved ones and that perhaps drove him to this idea of what's beyond the grave. But it does seem to predate that. It, it really is one of those odd, interesting things. And when I, I remember when I first found out about this, I was also intrigued because Sherlock Holmes itself spends uh, so much time, uh, and the books, not the character, the books spend so much time sort of setting up what seem to be supernatural instances or, or mm. unexplainable things and then roundly debunking them. Um, and, and that's the whole point of Sherlock. He's a man of man driven by deduction, a man driven by intellect, not things you can't prove. So... It's, I don't know, I, I find it interesting. And I, I find Sir Arthur Conan Doyle one of those people, again, who I think the more you learn about him, the more you realize that sometimes this question of legacy becomes quite tricky and complicated. Because if he had not written Sherlock Holmes, what else might we have seen and heard and read from him? That is his argument. <laughs> that that was the very argument for why he wanted to toss the man over the Rackenbuck Falls. So that's where we find People ourselves. People turned up in black to mourn his death at the office of the magazine. How do you keep that character dead? So it is that character that we are going to be talking about in the second half, um, as well as uh, the other writing interests of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We have spent this first bit uh, talking about his personal life and his interest particularly in spiritualism. We'd like to know, are you a fan of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's writings? Are you a fan of Sherlock? Do you wish he'd stayed dead? I guess fundamentally. Um, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. Business, finance and music. BFM 89.9. Really, Watson, you excel yourself, said Holmes, pushing back his chair and lighting a cigarette. I am bound to say that in all the accounts which you have been so good as to give of my own small achievements, you have habitually underrated your own abilities. It may be that you are not yourself luminous, but you are a conductor of light. Some people, without possessing genius, have a remarkable power of stimulating it. I confess, my dear fellow that I am very much in your debt. He had never said as much before, 
and I must admit that his words gave me keen pleasure, for I had often been piqued by his indifference to my admiration and to the attempts which I had made to give publicity to his methods. This is by the book with Lynn and Sharmila. It is our monthly bibliography episode. And today we are talking about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, perhaps best known for being the author of Sherlock Holmes, four novels, 56 short stories. But he also wrote a ton of other things. He wrote fantasy, he wrote science fiction, historical novels, treatises on spiritualism. Um, and yet it is Sherlock that we remember him for. So it's Sherlock that we're going to be talking about for a bit. How do we even begin talking about Sherlock Holmes? Because, you know, he's become a character now that, yes, the novels are a huge presence, but he's also an archetype. Sherlock Holmes has become the archetype for a particular type of detective. I would argue that most TV and film detectives that we see now are in some way or another just iterations of Holmes. So... Last week, we spoke with Andy Weir about his book. And, and I bring it up, they're very different, but I bring it up because we were discussing how there's one character who's so beloved within that book, Rocky the Alien. And Andy Weir, the author, hadn't really expected this kind of success. And he said that it's partly because the, the character is a cipher of sorts. You can kind of project quite a lot onto very spare language, very spare characterization. And I think Sherlock is very much the same in that you never really get, and I think that this is something that um, adaptations try to do. They try to give him a tragic backstory. They try to give trauma. They try to do all these things to um, give reasons as to why Sherlock is the way he is. But the fact of the matter is that Sherlock Holmes is a very sort of cold, distant, highly intelligent, genius character um, who for some reason has given affection to like literally one person <laughs> and that person is the audience's avatar right in the story you are essentially john watson his um his faithful scribe and uh sidekick basically so i think it's that kind of i don't want to say abusive relationship but it's that kind of uneven relationship that has made sherlock partly as compelling as he is besides the fact that he's just a brilliant mind i mean watson really is the human in the story isn't he and he's also the the narrator so he is who we are supposed to be and i think knowingly or unknowingly sir arthur conan doyle created Exactly that interplay, you know, the the same thing we see. And, and I said earlier, detective fiction. But honestly, if you think of buddy comedies, if you think of odd couple pairings, if you think of romances, that dynamic of one person who is difficult, perhaps not the most human, you have to kind of win them over mm. versus the, the sort of affable, human, likable character, that is... I don't know. I wonder whether that's what, coupled with just that idea of solving crime, which is incredibly compelling to read, because when you revisit Sherlock Holmes' the books, his writing is not the easiest all the time. You know, Doyle is very given to sort of meandering sentences and flowery language and not at all what you'd expect of detective fiction. Agatha Christie writes much snappier and sort of easily accessible prose. Arthur Conan Doyle has a little bit of an indulgence in his style. So I usually think that it's actually the characters and the plot that keeps you going rather than the writing itself. But the irony, of course, is that the characters, are they're so strong, right? But I'm not sure how much of that is, again, in rereading it, how much of that is actually 
built into individual stories, individual novels. Really, when we're talking about Sherlock, we're talking about the sum of its parts. We're talking about everything, you know, it builds and builds. Because when you first meet Sherlock, he's sort of this um, mysterious bad housemate. Is what it comes down <laughs> oh my to. God, yes. And then, um, you know, it, it's it's only once you realise like, oh, he's kind of a, a genius. And wow, he makes Scotland Yard look like dummies. And, and each thing is built upon book after book. Irene Adler is not a character. Um, you know, the, the one and only potential love interest of Sherlock Holmes, um, the woman she's called. She's not introduced in the first short story. She's not introduced in the first novel. She's somebody who appears later on. Um, you know, so I think that the layering of characters is something that happens as you read along. However, the chemistry um, between John Watson and Sherlock Holmes kind of... Um, at least at the start, I think, takes the place of deeper characterization that comes later. We said this in our show with Charles Dickens, and I often wonder this with especially the Sherlock Holmes stories, what it would have been like to have read it first with no frame of reference. Because by the time I first picked up my first Sherlock Holmes, I had already heard and read about him in so many forms. I watched him in Great Mouse Detective. I read Three Investigators doing a case inspired by Sherlock Holmes. You know, you hear so many references to it that I would argue we can never come to Sherlock clean. Whereas no. I wonder what it's like to have read that first story with no frame of reference, what it feels like to get to know him little by little. And perhaps that's what drives people to, to grieve his death and, and demand for his resurrection. I, I think um, it, it's a mixture of things, right? Because it is true that it's very hard to uh, come to Sherlock Holmes clean simply because it's too much a part of our pop culture and for better or for worse because as we've said earlier Arthur Conan Doyle not the biggest fan of of his character over time and very understandable as an adult person you get it as a child or you know as a fan of Sherlock sometimes it's still a little you feel a little pang but i think as an adult you just understand it a bit better and I'm trying to think about what it is that has led this to become so enduring. For why Sherlock has endured for so long, whether it's just because of the the constant adaptations or whether it's because um put simply, again, whether he likes it or not, he set the bar. And I think once you set the bar that everyone else is trying to aspire to, it it, it becomes very difficult for that character to just kind of disappear. Um, you know, people don't reference Sherlock Holmes without actually referencing his name at some point or or the catchphrases or the famous cases. Well, the and, way he dresses. Yeah, uh, with the with the deer hunter. So yeah. I, I think it's just a, a, a combination of things that has created an icon that people still refer to with a sense of um, with a sense of wonder or with a sense of respect. And I can't think of a detective before Sherlock, really, who played that role. So perhaps that's also it. It's He might have been, for all intents and purposes, one of the earliest examples of this type um, and set the tone for everything else to come. And so, yes, every time we talk about detectives, he's the benchmark. I wanted to say, though, I don't know whether you agree, but Doyle is Watson, no? 
I yeah, mean, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and and I always wonder who writes himself to be the sidekick in his own story, and I find that fascinating because there's plenty of reference to say that Sherlock Holmes was based actually on um, Arthur Conan Doyle's former university teacher, a man named Joseph Bell, apparently very known to be this sort of reasoning, deductive sort. But what's in this hundred percent him? You know what it is? I think it comes from the fact that Sherlock himself is not interested in documenting his stories. He says it over and over again. He's actually really dismissive of Watson for writing down his stories <laughs> and, and critical, in fact, of the way in which the story has been depicted. There is no human who is Sherlock Holmes, and that's partly the appeal of him. He is slightly superhuman, but also kind of not. He, he feels like he could be your friend, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff about him that sets him apart and that he intentionally kind of lives apart from the rest of us. And for that reason, I just don't think you would write yourself as him. I think that anybody who is a Sherlock Holmes would probably not bother to write their stories down. That's why you have a Watson. Which is why I was thinking earlier also about your your comment about his style. And I think that the the tangents and the indulgent um the indulgent sentences, the weird observations that come in out of nowhere, you know, all these different things uh, because otherwise you just wouldn't have a very human feeling story. Yes, I think so. And I think from everything I've read about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he was a very human person. He had so many interests. He had so many passions. Very relevant for today's times. He's a passionate advocate of vaccinating and he was very vocal about anti-vaxxers. I love that bit of info. He wanted to free the Congo. Yes. So I think he's that kind of person. He's not a Sherlock. And I think that's that's great. I wanted to close off here before we talk in footnotes about adaptations with construction, because um, we've been talking about Sherlock. And Sherlock, the character, is certainly what drives the stories. But it is the construction of the cases, sometimes very jewel box style constructions, right, that also keep you hooked because otherwise you would lose patience being with a character who looks around a room and sees something completely different to what you are able to see because you are just John Watson. <laughs> so I think a lot of this comes from... Um he he seems to me to be a very meticulous person. The, the the medical career, the interest in history, I think all of these things feed into that that sense of crafting a story. Because whatever you want to say about the language in Sherlock Holmes, the stories are so beautifully crafted. It's very important in mysteries to both know just enough and not know too much. And with Sherlock Holmes, I feel like there's such great examples of taking you on that particular journey. And you can see it in his other stories as well, even when he writes science fiction, even when he writes uh, historical fiction, that sense of crafting a narrative is really very strong. So we've been talking today about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who is best known, um, really, for being the author and creator of Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. But I think he would have preferred to have been remembered as uh, a prolific writer in general. He wrote a ton of other things, fantasy, sci-fi, um, historical fiction, poetry, romances. He was also a huge proponent of spiritualism, uh, something that he fought for all the way until his death at the age of 71 on the 7th of July, 1930. 
8.30. We want to know whether you are a fan of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, whether in terms of Sherlock, whether you've read his other works. Let us know what you think. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. brings us to footnotes as is typical with this section of our show for bibliography we usually talk about adaptations of the author's works again i i feel kind of guilty for spending so much of our show talking about <laughs> sherlock holmes considering sir arthur conan doyle's feelings about him but this is where we find ourselves we are but the readers um so we are going to be talking about adaptations i think primarily of sherlock Primarily, yes. I don't think I've really watched anything adapted from his works other than the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Uh, well, except The Lost World, which I'm not particularly attached to as a screen product. I want to start off with uh, the one I mentioned earlier, which is um, <clears throat> probably one of the earliest adaptations of a um, Doyle work that I, I remember, which is the animated film, The Great Mouse Detective. Sure. Where, <laughs> I, I love it. It's, you know, it, it's about a mouse detective named Basil and he's got a, um, his arch nemesis is Professor Rattigan, who is obviously a rat. Um, I love it. It's, it's uh, such a great attempt at capturing that Sherlock Holmes vibe, but for children. And um, I, I've rewatched it several times and I still find myself really charmed. Who are you? What? No. Basil at Baker Street, my good fellow. No, 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 no. Now, see here. This young lady is in need of assistance. I think you ought to listen. Well, this, please, Doctor. Of course. But, good. Uh, uh, wait just a moment. How the deuce did you know I was a doctor? A surgeon, to be exact. Just returned from military duty in Afghanistan. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> yes. Major David Q. Dawson. Uh, but how could you possibly... Quite simple, really. You've sewn your torn cuff together with a Lambert stitch, which, of course, only a surgeon uses. And the thread is a unique form of catgut, easily distinguished by its peculiar pungency, found only in the Afghan provinces. Amazing. Actually, it's elementary, my dear Dawson. Yes, uh, I, I did very much enjoy uh, Basil, the Great Mouse Detective. We've spoken, I, I'm not sure whether it was on this show or, or on our other movie show, Popcorn Culture, about um, Sherlock Holmes as a film character or a TV character because he is really all over the place. And uh, whether or not it's actually set in the the period that was original to Sherlock or whether they've tried to update it as in BBC, Benedict Cumberbatch, etc., etc. Um, we have seen a lot of different tellings of the actual home stories, but I've also enjoyed the ways in which people have taken the dynamic and the character and kind of um, thrown it upwards or, or tried to kind of use it as a very strong basis for other characters. And I'm thinking here of Gregory House. Um, who, <laughs> nice is a mashup in some ways of 
of Watson and Sherlock, right? Because he is a doctor, but he is a doctor whose primary work is in detecting. He is deeply unpleasant. He also only has one friend. He's inherited Watson's limp, but he has Sherlock's brain. He has Sherlock's drug addiction. And then you still get a bonus Watson in the form of James Wilson. So it's, um, <laughs> I, I think that as far as taking the essence of Sherlock and kind of transmuting it and adding layers for example, how we know addiction affects people, right? Like you can't just be a heroin addict and pretend everything is fine, as Sherlock does in the <laughs> novels, in all fairness. So yeah, I think that I, I enjoy watching all the, um, all the ingredients of Sherlock Holmes being cooked up into a new dish in the form of house. You got a Christmas present. Greg made me think of you. It's funny. It usually explodes after I do that. Wow, Manual of the Operations of Surgery by Joseph Bell. You're throwing that away? Twice. Someone's screwing with me. Forget it. Yeah, gifting antique medical texts. Oldest gag in the book. Handwriting's kind of girly. You got an admirer house? I said forget the book. It's a subpoena. He's gotten that kind of present before. It was a book. That narrows it down. Just look for someone who knows how to read or has been to a bookstore. Most bookstores don't carry Joseph Bell on surgery. Did it have a note? Greg made me think of you. Green wrapping paper. How did you know that? What is it? It's nothing. Yes, when something's nothing, the natural response is to guess the color of the paper it's wrapped in and then descend into stunned silence. Irene Adler. I've never seen him so obsessed. He saved her with a last-minute Wegner's diagnosis, but the hours he put in, I thought it would kill him. And then he fell for her. Irene was the one who got away. And the mysteries are equally compelling, honestly. Um, and House, because House's greatest strength, coming at a time of multiple medical dramas, was really turning that drama into mysteries. I think that was what kept the show um, at a certain level above the other medical procedurals that we'd get. I'm going to go down, I suppose, a more conventional path and pick. There's always that argument between which contemporary uh, contemporary remakes of the Sherlock Holmes is better. Obviously, the BBC Benedict Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman version um, gets a lot of votes. I'd like to put in a strong recommendation for the Guy Ritchie film adaptation with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. Not because I think it's better than the BBC one, because the BBC one being a TV show lets you grow with the characters, but... In terms of chemistry between the two lead uh, characters, uh, in terms of turning that story into something truly adventurous and thrilling to watch. The first one, the second one, I'm not a fan. And visualizing London at a particular era with those characters, I love it so much. I can rewatch the first uh, Sherlock Holmes with the two of them over and over again. Why I ever believed <coughs> that I would get to have tea with Mary's parents is beyond me, having been talked into going with you. We were set upon that, it was self-defense. I've been reviewing my notes of our exploits over the last seven months. Would you like to know my conclusion? Uh, I am psychologically disturbed. How so? Why else would I continually be led into situations 
where you deliberately withhold your plans from me. You never complained about my methods before. I never complain. When do I complain about you practicing the violin at three in the morning? Or your mess? Your general lack of hygiene or the fact that you steal my clothes? I understand. Do you? What you need is to rest. My brother Mycroft has a small estate near Chichester. Beautiful grounds. There's a folly. <sighs> Throw a lamb on the spit. We? Holmes, if I were to get to the country, it would be with my future wife. Well, certainly if we must. We no, not you, Mary and I. You are not... What? Invited? Why would I not be invited to my own brother's country home? So, at this point, um, I would just like to bring up something that I feel uh, we haven't spoken about enough throughout the show, which is the importance of a good Watson. So, we, we talked about Watson as the storyteller, as our, our entry point. But I think particularly with the adaptations, right, you need a good Watson. It's different when you are reading it and you are in the, the, the character of Watson and you don't have to watch him be belittled, um, <laughs> which, which actually happens quite a lot, right? Sherlock kind of uses him as the, an example of an ordinary, unobservant man who makes the typical mistakes of his, you know, lesser-brained kind. And it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to watch it. The The dynamic is as such that I think you do need a Watson that you can root for and that you sim- and, and that simultaneously doesn't make Sherlock look like an utter bully, like somebody who is just unsavable. And one through line, however you may feel about the Sherlocks, is that I think most of the adaptations we've been seeing recently have great Watsons. Um, Jude Law is a fantastic Watson. Martin Freeman is as well. Lucy Liu is is just great. Um, And so I, I think that just on screen, actually, Watson is every bit as important. They can't be pushovers. I think that's really important. I mean, Watson of the books is a war veteran. Um, he's He isn't a pushover. And while it's easy to kind of imagine that dynamic, I think you need to believe that he is also getting something out of the relationship and not just being taken for granted all the time. And there you have uh, what is always the central relationship drama of any Sherlock adaptation. (laughs) You take me for granted. It always happens. Count on it. Um, So we've been spending today talking about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and therefore Sherlock Holmes. Uh, We'd like to know, are you a Sherlock fan? Are you a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle fan? Have you read anything other than Sherlock Holmes from him? You can let us know. WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Also tell us uh, what your favourite Sherlock adaptations have been. And write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.